God is looking for in his people. Now, we started this in Hebrews 13, verse 1. And now, the book of Hebrews is written to those New Testament believers who were Jews, who just come to Christ, <clears throat> and now they're figuring out what do we need to do? What do we need to be? How, how are we to act? And so, uh, God in the last chapter says, okay, here's what you're to do. 13, verse 1 says, let brotherly love continue. We saw that was unity. We spoke about unity. Secondly, do not forget to entertain strangers. Hospitality. And hospitality is not just entertaining like, uh, uh, who, who's the uh, etiquette person? Emily Post. You know, it's not, it's not, hospitality is not Emily Post. Hospitality is opening your heart to people. And that's uh, the mark of a great church. Then verse 3. Remember the prisoners. It's almost each verse has a different point that we've looked at. Remember the prisoners, those who are incarcerated or those who are even culturally or politically incarcerated. Number four, marriage is honorable among all, the bed undefiled. A great church is one where marriage is held in honor, where there's purity in that relationship between a husband and a wife. Verse five, let your conduct be without covetousness, be content. And that was a message we looked at about contentment. Uh, enjoying what God has provided for you and rejoicing when others succeed, you know, just being content. Then verse 6, we so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? That issue, there was faith. How does a person walk by faith, live by faith? Then uh, verse 7 and verse 17, we combine those two. Those are about, remember those who rule over you. That's the relationship... <coughs> of a church to its pastor and a pastor to its people. And we spent a, a day looking at that one. Then verse 9, do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines. We saw why it was important for a church to have doctrinal integrity. The, and doctrines are the foundations of our belief, the foundations of what we believe in, in our practice. <coughs> and then the latter part of verse 9, it's good that the heart be established by grace. Grace is the word, living by grace. We don't live by the law, we, are, we live now by grace. Aren't you glad that God doesn't give us what we deserve, but he gives us grace? Because if we looked at what we really deserved, <clears throat> well, it's not a good thing. But I thank the Lord for grace. And by the way, if God's gracious enough to you to forgive you for all your sin, can't you be gracious and forgive somebody for something they've said or done to you? That's grace. That's grace. So a great church is one that practices grace. Then verse 12, Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood. Holiness, holy living. And that was what we looked at in that message, was the, the hope that a people is to live, sanctified, live as holy people. Verse 14, For we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. There we looked at the second coming of Christ. The fact is we... We are not citizens of this world. We are now, if you've given your life to Christ, you're citizens of heaven. And we need to be looking forward to that day when Christ returns for us. And so we spent a day looking at that subject of the second coming of Christ. And then verse 15, the sacrifice of praise to God. And that was last week as we looked at, at um, uh Praise and worship. What does it mean to worship? Worship is every choice you make every day that you live. You worship him by your obedience to him. 
Which brings us now to today's subject, and that's verse 16. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. What pleases God? When we share and do good. In other words, how, what do you, how do you use the material things of your life in sharing and doing good with others? It, the scripture tells us this pleases God. And so today we're going to look at the subject. If you look at your little outline, your, uh, your um, sermon outline, uh, it says the subject is grace giving. Grace giving. And there's two verses there. We just read the first one, Hebrews 13, 16. And then let's read the second one there. That's 2 Corinthians 8, 5. Let's read that one together, okay? And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. Notice what happened. The Macedonian Christians. This was written about Macedonian Christians, those Christians who were in Greece. And yet they were impoverished, terribly impoverished, persecuted uh, beyond belief, and, and just living a horrible life, hardly had anything, hardly could feed themselves. And yet it tells us they didn't do what we expected. They first of all gave themselves to God and then to us. And that's grace giving. Now giving is not God's way of raising money. It is God's way of raising children. And that's what this is all about. It is God raising us. It's raising the children of God to become mature, complete uh, in Him. <clears throat> and in America, one of the problems we have is that we have, we wanted everything now, we want it all now, so we drive bank finance cars filled with credit card gas to uh, uh, across uh, bond financed roads in order to get to um, uh, a shopping mall that we might fill our homes with furniture that are also bought on credit to impress people that really don't care. Uh, and that's one of the traps that we fall into, that, that we can fall into. Because I, I want to share with you uh, a, the first time that God really got hold of me about the issue of, being, of um, monetary and financial integrity. Suzanne and I were sitting right about over here in a church service. This is back when I was in commercial real estate development back a long time ago. And there was a man who spoke, and he made his living. He was a traveling evangelist. And our pastor just said, now, this man lives by gifts that come from God's people. And he, doesn't, he didn't come with any salary thing. He just, whatever God's people give, that's what he lives on. And God, just as clearly as I'm speaking to you now, told me, you need to, you need to put $200 in the, in the plate. And I'm uh, uh, reaching my pocket, and all I've got is a $20 bill. I could not give to that man what God told me to because I had been so financially irresponsible that all I had in my pocket was a $20 bill. And it hit me right then. When God prompts me to give, and I can't, then something's wrong with me. And that, that kind of set us on a journey then um, for the rest of our life to maintain financial integrity and, and uh, financial freedom. 
because we needed to be able to give. Um, up to that point, you know, I made a good living uh, in what I was doing. My wife was also working, so we didn't have any monetary problems, except we spent everything and weren't good stewards of what God was giving us. So that's part of why I'm coming to you. This, this is not about money. This is about your relationship with the Lord because the Lord gives to us. I believe he gives to us so that there are times, and I think he gives more to some who are able to give more because I, he's, I think from God's perspective, he looks at me and says, I can trust that old boy right there. You know, when I, when I want $1,000 given, he'll give it. Now, this guy over here, I want $1,000, and he's just greedy and keeps it in his pocket. I'm not going to bless him anymore. I'm going to bless him according to his response to me. And see, God, you might say, well, listen, God didn't give me anything. I worked, and I earned all this myself. Let me remind you of Deuteronomy 8, 15. It says this, it is God who gives you the ability to earn wealth. And God can take your ability away just as easy as he gives it to you. How does he do that? Car wreck, cerebral hemorrhage, disease. He can take away your ability to give. He can take away your ability to earn. See, folks, everything we have, every breath we take is a gift from God. Everything. And so this life, it's what this life is about. This life uh, is, is about God raising up his children. So I'm going to walk real quickly through a lot of territory. That's why I've given you a lot of scriptures here in this little outline um, because I can't, I can't cover it all and adequately, so I want you to be able to refer to it. And by the way, money is amoral. Uh, m- money is not evil. Money's not holy. Money's just, it's just a thing. It's just stuff, okay? But money... And our relationship to it says a lot about who we are and where we are. See, there's a lot of folks whose heart has been misplaced. Now, I got some medical personnel in here. And, you know, the, the medical personnel, usually the heart is supposed to be right here, right? It's supposed to be right here. Problem is, many times, uh, the heart has been relocated and it's right back here. You know, uh, and, and we end up sitting on it. So, where's your heart at? Where's your heart? So let's, let's look real quickly, five things, and I'm going to try to go through this pretty quickly. Number one, our giving reveals the source of our joy. Our giving re- reveals the source of our joy, because um, <clears throat> if the source of our joy is material, if what we get our, our joy from are material things and material stuff, then giving is going to be reluctant it's going to be reluctant. We're going to give grudgingly because our, our joy comes from material things and material possessions, <coughs> and we don't want to give those away. We want to get them. We want to can them. You know, we want to get all the can, can uh, uh, fill up the can, seal the can, and then sit on the can. That's what we want to do if, if, your, if your joy is from material things. And if, uh, it, when a Christian starts to think, well, I can't give because... I got a kid in college or because I got a car payment or because I've got my 401k I got a fund if I got you know when you start thinking like that then your joy you have missed the source of your joy but if the source of our giving is eternal then giving is going to be a joy 
Because if the source of our giving, if the source we look at for our provision comes from the Lord, then we're going to be re- we're going to readily give to Him and His cause and His purpose. Uh, and, and that's what uh, we find in, in 2 Corinthians. And if, if you turn in, in the, that pew Bible there, or in your own Bible, the 2 Corinthians 8, this chapter is probably one of the greatest ones ever written about this issue of giving. And, if you, and that's on page 143 of that pew Bible, page 143. So 2 Corinthians 8 says this. Now remember, these are the impoverished this is the Macedonian church that Paul's writing about. Paul is writing a letter to the people in Corinth, the super wealthy city of the Roman Empire. And he's writing to them, and he's telling them about this impoverished people over here in Macedonia. And he says, uh, verse 1, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Notice, where did this grace come from? It was the grace of God that he gave to these people. Then in a great trial of affliction... The abundance of their joy. Now notice, where did Macedonian church's joy come from? And their deep poverty? It was from the Lord. And it says, it abounded in the riches of their liberality. (coughs) They responded to the Lord, uh, and they did it liberally because of the joy of their heart for Him. Verse 3, for I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely and willingly imploring us with much urgency that we should receive the gift and the fellowship of ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. I had, a, I had to learn this lesson too. Not only did I learn how to give, but I also had to learn how to receive. Uh, I had a, um, uh, my first position at a church was a minister of evangelism at a church in Texas, Fort Worth, Texas. And I had this uh, uh, older lady come up to me, and I knew her situation, and I knew that she lived on a, on a pension, it was tight. And she came up, and she gave me one of those $50 handshakes. You know what that's like, you know. you gives you a handshake, and there's go, what is that? Oh, I thought it was a note, you know. Just, she's passed me a note, so I look at it, and it wasn't a note, it was a $50 bill. And I looked at her, and I said, oh, ma'am, you don't need to do this, it's okay. And she looked at me right in the eye, and she said, you're going to take away my blessing? God told me to give this to you, and you're going to steal my blessing if you don't keep that. Yes, ma'am. You got any more? <laughs> no, I, I didn't say that, but I had to learn how to even receive. I mean, we, we, were, living, we were living on poverty level uh, income, you know, in seminary, but God took care of us, and it was little things like that that made a difference. So not only the joy of giving, <clears throat> but as Paul said here, it was the they first of all gave themselves to the Lord and then to us. Then they gave themselves that. And that's grace giving, folks. That's what grace giving is. Um, and then verse uh, 6, it says, well, So we urge Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. So he's saying, Now, Corinthian church, <clears throat> God's given the Macedonian church this grace. I'm asking you, for, you need to ask God to also give you this same grace. And in verse 7, he says, But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you also abound in this grace of giving as well. So grace giving, <clears throat> where does your joy come from? Where, where, where does it, 
Where does it originate from? Secondly, <clears throat> our giving reaps the source of our supply. What is your supply? Where do you see your supply? Do you see your supply as what you earn, what you create, the wealth that you create? Is it you? Is that your supply? Are you your supply? Folks, I want to tell you, God, God can take care of that. Uh, God can change your supply. And those of you who are in business for yourself, or farmers in particular, God can have the rain fall, or he can take it away. God can bless you, or God can take business away from you. God can do that. And so who, who is your supply? Where do you look for? There was a man in Dallas I heard years ago. Uh, W. Criswell shared this story with me. I heard him. He didn't share it with me personally. I just heard him tell this story about a businessman who came to him and says, oh, Dr. Criswell, he says, I, I, um, uh, I started tithing years ago, you know, and I gave every week faithfully. I earned $50 and I gave $5. And so then, you know, I got my income raised to $100 a week and I gave $10. He says, Pastor, he says, I'm, I'm up to now $500 a week tithing. He says, I can't give away that kind of money. He said, let me pray with you. And he prayed and said, Lord... Reduce this man's income where he feels joy in giving again. All right, now see, God can do that. He can just reduce, he can get you back to where you're comfortable giving, all right? So, who's your supply? Now, there are two things. There are laws of the harvest and there's laws of giving. I want to real quickly walk through the laws of the harvest. The laws of the harvest are, and I have Ecclesiastes 2.26 here for you. It says, to the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom knowledge and happiness but to the sinner he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth why look at that to hand it over to the one who pleases god isn't that amazing god says the the, the man that doesn't please him he's just going to store up wealth because I, I want him to give it to the man that's pleasing me so the laws of the harvest first of all i mean just real quickly is you plant, you sow what you plant. You have to first plant, you, you, so you sow. You sow, then you reap. And the third is you reap more than you sow. You take one little kernel of corn and you put it in the ground, and so you sow a kernel of corn. And then you, uh, as you sow that, then you reap that corn after it matures. Now, do you get back the same number? No, you get back ears of corn. You get back hundreds. One kernel brings back hundreds of ears. And so the law of the harvest is you reap what you sow, you reap after you sow, and you reap what you sow. And, and you can just say, I give, I give. Now, you can't give with the motive, say, I'm going to give because God's going to get, God's going to give me. That doesn't always necessarily that way. We need to give because God prompts us to. <clears throat> but I'm assured from God's word in these scriptures that God is going to bless you some way, shape, or form. You're going to be blessed out of his, from, from his work in your life. So that's one of the laws of the harvest. Now, B, there are laws of money management and use. Some of the laws of money management and use, very simply, number one, you get money by working. I have printed there for you, 2 Thessalonians 3.10, for even when we were with you, we gave the, you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not what? Okay, that's, that's the word of God. You're supposed to 
get money, one of the ways you use money to get money is you're to work to get it. It doesn't just grow on trees and it's not just handed to you. We've got a culture that's being developed in our nation of one that it's called entitlements. Wait a minute, entitlement? I'm entitled to somebody else's money? No, folks, um, all those, those programs were designed to help you get by a crisis so you get back on your feet because the scripture tells us if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. That's one of the biblical principles. Number two, another way that money is handled is savings. Savings. Uh, in the house of the wise <clears throat> are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all that he has. Now, folks, what that says is you're not, you're not supposed to just spend everything. You're supposed to save. Saving is part of it. Now, John Wesley, a great preacher in the 1700s, he had a simple formula. He says you tithe 10%, you give 10%, you save 10%, and then you live on the rest. Now, I don't know what your formula is, but part of our life is we are to, uh, part of, of uh, the way money is used is not just working for it, but also saving it. Uh, a good man, here's, here's just a few more verses. It says a good man, Proverbs 13, 22. Good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. Proverbs 6, 6. Go to the ant, you sluggard. <clears throat> and consider its ways and be wise. It stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food as harvest. So even the ants, the honeybees, saving. So you need to save. Work to get, save. And then a third principle is planning. Planning. Now you could also call that budgeting, if you will. Okay? This is money, this is the way you use money. You use money, you work for it, you save it, and you budget it. Now, but what's a budget? A budget is uh, simply not, <laughs> if you don't have a budget, you find out where your money went. But a budget tells, is a, your plan to say, this is where I want my money to go. <clears throat> That's a budget. So you should live on a budget, a direction that, that, uh, that plans. And the scripture tells us we are to plan. Look at the ant and plan budget now number four a fourth principle of money and use so we got working saving planning or budgeting and the fourth is giving this is part of the christian life is giving <clears throat> now if you <laughs> here's something you could do you have a pesky friend it's always bothering you lend them money when the due date comes you'll never see him again okay that that, that that's what you you know, that'll take care of the pesky friend, all right? Just loan them money, and then you, you won't have to worry about ever seeing them again. So <clears throat> I will say this. We had someone who, uh, a good, good friend of ours <clears throat> that we, uh, Suzanne and I, just thought a lot of, and, and he came and asked for a loan. When the time came, it didn't show up. It didn't show up. In fact, he kept avoiding me. And so that's why I know this works, by the way, folks, okay? Uh, but what we finally had to realize, the lesson God was teaching us in that was, you don't, just, you don't just loan, it's better just to give. And when Suzanne and I finally just came to the place where we said, we gift that to you, we don't expect to be returned, bitterness left my heart. Because as long as I kept possessing it, as long as I kept trying to hang on to it, say, that's mine, I'm supposed to get repaid, 
then bitterness started working up in me. But when I finally gave it, and this was early on in our days, this is a long time ago when we began to learn these lessons, but we finally just gave it and told them, we forgive that debt, it's just yours. Oh, no, we're going to pay you back. No, no, we just give it. It just brought such a freedom in our life when that happened. So don't let bitterness grow up in your heart. Sometimes if you keep hanging on to something and somebody has wronged you, and a pesky friend or relative or cousin or somebody else that hadn't paid you back, just give it to them and that bitterness will go away. Okay? It's not worth it. Proverbs 22.9 A generous man will himself be blessed for he shares his food with the poor. And that's part of giving. That's part of giving. 2 Samuel 24, 24, David was going to build an altar to the Lord and there was a man who had a wine press and he says, here, just, I want to give this to you, David, and you offer this up to the Lord. And David says, I will, no, I have a printer for you. He says, I will not sacrifice or give to the Lord a burnt offerings that cost me nothing. David wasn't willing to take that man's gift and just offer it because that wasn't his gift. He said, I can't do that. My offerings to the Lord have to come from me. And that's part of giving. That's part of giving. Now, number three, Roman numeral three. First of all, Roman numeral one, our giving reveals our source of our joy. Roman number two, our giving receives the source of our supply. And Roman number three, our giving reveres our God to the world. Our giving reflects to the world our love for the Lord Jesus. Um, our giving recommends Jesus Christ to the world. Because folks will look and they'll say, oh, you're the church, you give. Yeah, and because out of conversation, even with friends, it will come up that you give and you give regularly to God and God's work. And to a lost person, they think that's going to be real strange. But what that does is says, the Lord Jesus means so much to me in my life that part of my life is always giving to him and his work. Now, folks, I've not given a dime to a church. I've not given a dime to a ministry. But I've given a lot of money to the Lord Jesus. The gift we gave, we gave it toward disaster relief this morning but why we did it because that's the lord's work in people's lives i can't touch i'm not there but i know there are people in texas and louisiana whose lives are going to be touched and it's going to be given those that food that clothing that mudding out has all been given in the name of jesus christ so everything that we have given in our life has been given to the Lord Jesus and not to think. See, I, I've run across people. When I was, uh, uh, I, I used to, uh, another point in my life, was responsible for a ministry called Evangelism Explosion. And I worked with 200 different denominations in North America. And I was, we were responsible for the U.S., Canada, and the English-speaking Caribbean. And we live by faith. As, as funds would come, that's what, kept the ministry going and still to this day we received many checks from people who would write to us and say you know i believe in what you all are doing i just love your evangelistic heart touching lives and my church right now i don't trust and so i'm sending this check to you you know what we did with that check 
We sent it right back. We sent it back because um, I, we do believe, and I do believe in storehouse tithing. That is tithing and giving, first of all, to God's work in a local expression of the body of Christ. But for somebody like that who is giving out of this, now these are soul winners. These are God's people. They're good folk. But they had an attitude of, uh, you know, if the ball isn't played with the way I like it, I'm going to take my ball and I'm going to go home. You know, if I don't like the way this church is operating, then I'm just going to take my tithe and I'm going to go somewhere else with it. That's you believing that you own that, and it's not you that owns it, it's the Lord that owns it. If you are disillusioned with this church and the way it's going, the best thing for you to do is to go find a church where you can be happy. Boy, did you ever think you hear a preacher say that? No. You, you see, giving, giving is I'm giving to the Lord and His work. If I don't support that work, then I need to go someplace where I can. <clears throat> because our giving reveres our Lord Jesus Christ, not only to the lost who see it, not like in Texas and Louisiana right now. A lot of folks are seeing the love of Southern Baptists by these people in these yellow hats and yellow vests. Sometimes all they know is some people in yellow hats are the ones that showed up, people in yellow hats, because they're so distressed they can't read anything there. Until later they find out who it was. But it's telling the lost we care. It's telling the lost we care. Our giving be, our giving reverences him from our hearts. Your gifts reverence the Lord Jesus from your heart. And this is what God is interested in. God is interested in your heart. If your heart is not in your gift, if you give reluctantly, the scripture says, if you give it reluctantly, it's better for you just to keep your gift until your heart is right and then give. Because God is after the heart. This, remember, this is not about money. It's about relationship. But our money... Jesus spoke more about money and our relationship to it than he ever did about heaven or hell. And the reason for it is so that we could examine where our love affair really was. So our hearts is what he is after. Now, I have printed here for you 1 Corinthians 16. Now, about the collection for God's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. And see, that is a week-by-week -week reminder. Your gifts, week-by-week-by-week, by week by week, are a weekly reminder. Every time I write a check, every time I write a check for an offering, it's a reminder that it's not who it's being paid to, but it's a reminder of my commitment, personal commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. I just want to repeat, I've never given a dime to a church or a ministry, but I've given a lot to the Lord Jesus. And that's what, that reminder, every time I write a check, it's just a reminder of that relationship. C, our giving reveres him to the entire Christian community. It reveres him not only to the lost and to our, in, in reminder of our hearts, but to the entire Christian community. 
the rest of the Christian community is encouraged when it sees God's ministry happening, when it sees God's people pulling together, working together for common goals. It, it is a testimony to, uh, uh, to the rest of the Christian community. I, I remember a time my great uncle, Fred Brown Clippard, uh, I, he, my grandfather's brother, uh, and he was a plumber, very successful businessman, actually. Um, but uh, in his later years, was confined to a wheelchair and home most of the time. And he just loved to read the newsletter from our church that we were pastoring. And he would read that, and, and, uh, uh, and what, what encouraged him was the amount of giving that came. He couldn't believe. We'd always end up with way more money at the end of the year than, than we had budgeted. And we built a building, uh, well, several expansions and building and bought ground, all of it debt-free. When God gave us a dollar, we buy a board. He gives us two dollars, we buy a concrete block and put it in place. You know, and that's that's the way it was built. But it was an encouragement to him. And he told this is way back in Missouri where he's reading this. But it was an encouragement to he and all of his. I remember getting a note from him about this. And I, I don't. I'm not sharing this to to brag, but just to brag on what the Lord was doing because it was such an encouragement to others who were struggling. And so you're giving. And your response to God's prompting encourages other believers in places and ways that sometimes we don't even realize. But that's what our, your giving does. And fourthly, our giving is response to our God's great gift. We give, why? Because He first gave to us. What did He give to us? He gave us the greatest gift of all. He gave us the Lord Jesus Christ, because Jesus became poor so that we might become spiritually rich. You see, Jesus in heaven, he was there in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so the Word, Jesus Christ himself, became flesh, dwelt among us, and he came down through time, space, and eternity, planted himself in the womb of a young virgin girl, was born, raised in poverty. Now here is the one who was surrounded by the praise of angels. All of heaven declared his glory. All of heaven declared his glory. And he came down through time and space and planted himself in the womb of a little virgin girl who was born in poverty and obscurity and he became physically poor. Why? He had to come to this earth without sin and live without sin in order to go to a cross and die on a cross to pay for your sin and mine. We're all sinners. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. Everyone in here is guilty of either lying or cheating or, or uh, stealing even a paper clip or whatever. We're all guilty. Maybe just rebellion against the authorities in your life. We're all guilty of sin. And we become spiritually poor. We're destined to hell. He became materially poor and then died on a cross so that we could become spiritually rich. And when he went to the cross, he dealt with the sin in our life. He paid for our sin to set us free. 
so that we who are spiritually poor now become spiritually rich at his expense. And that's what grace is. The acrostic grace, G-R-A-C-E, is God's riches, glory, heaven, living forever with him in eternity. G-A, at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense, G-R-A-C-E. And so Jesus became materially poor so that we might become spiritually rich. Are you willing to become just a little bit materially poorer so that others might become spiritually rich? Because God's gift to us is indescribable. Is indescribable. Let's take little Thomas over here. Thomas is what, six months old now? Almost six months? We had a baby dedication here a few months ago for Thomas. And I'm going to use him because here's this little guy. Well, I, I can take my own son. Let me, let me tell you. Let me just take my own son. I, I was never so happy in my life when I held my firstborn in my arm. His head's laying right there. And he's laying right here. And I'm looking at him. My son. Now, I love you all. I love each and every one of you. But if, if you were to stand before God and God's going to are a judge in this land... And you stood before a judge in this land, and they're going to condemn you to death for some heinous crime. And the judge, and I've made my plea to you, say, judge, judge, please, please, I know this person, give him mercy. And the judge says, look, a life has been taken, a life has to be given. Dave, I tell you what, Dave, if you'll take your little baby, your son, you take your son and you nail him, nail him to this cross right here, and we'll all stand here and watch. When he dies, then I'll let this man go. You know what, folks? I don't love any of you that much. I couldn't do that. I, I couldn't take nails and nail my son to a cross and step back and watch him die for you. But that's exactly what God did. That's exactly what God did. He looked down and he saw that I didn't have any ability to get to heaven. I didn't have any way to have my sin forgiven. And if he didn't put his son on the cross, justice would demand that I go to hell. But he put his own son on that cross to pay the penalty for me so I could be set free. And he did that for you. That's a gift, folks, that is indescribable. But he did that for you. Now, to know that and to reject him and say, I don't care anything about that, God, whatever you did, I don't care anything about it. One day, you're, each one of us, every one of us is going to stand before a holy God. And we're going to come one by one in front of him. And he'd look at you and say, you see what I did on this cross for you and you rejected that? Depart from me, for I never knew you, right into hell. That's given us justice. That's given us what we deserve. But right now, this side of death, it's mercy. Right now, he says, here's my son I've offered for you to have your sins removed. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But whosoever would believe in him, Jesus, 
would not perish, but have everlasting life. A gift that's indescribable. Because he gave, because God first gave, it's easy for me to give to him. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for loving us. Your gift is so indescribable as I try to relive it and think in my own life, could I do that? And Lord, I, I just, I couldn't. But thank you for loving us that much. Father, there may be someone here this morning that has looked at the cross and looked at Jesus, knows about his death on the cross, but to them it's not valuable, it's not important, it's not precious. Oh, God, change their heart in this moment. Oh, Holy Spirit of God, I know I do such a poor job trying to explain it, but Lord, I pray if there's one person here today that has never surrendered their life to you, they're still in their sin, Oh, Father, draw them to yourself as only you can. Hold their heads bowed, our eyes closed for just another moment. If, if you're that one that's here, you've never surrendered your life to him, I want to invite you to do that. All the sin in your life, everything you've committed, one day is going to be played out before a holy God for all the world to see. We're all going to see it that can all be erased in the very moment you open your heart and your life to Christ his blood is applied to your life and all that sin is gone never to be seen again never to be remembered that's the remarkable thing about God's gift to you and if you've never surrendered your life to Christ I want to invite you right where you are right where you're seated to ask him to do it. I can't do it for you. Brother John can't do it for you. Your wife, your friends, they can't do it for you. This is an individual choice. And I invite you to open your heart right now and say to him, see the way that we, we get saved, the way that we're forgiven of sin is we simply need to ask God to do that for us. All we have to do is ask. You say, well, how do I do that? Prayer is the way we speak to God. And while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, would you pray and say to Jesus, Dear Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Save me by grace. Would you do that? Now, if these words express the attitude of your heart, speak them to him and say, Dear Lord Jesus, go ahead there in your heart. Not out loud, not to anybody else, but to just to the Father. Dear Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I know that. You know that. And my sins are great. But Jesus, I believe that you loved me. And I believe that you died on the cross for me. I may not understand all the details of that. But in this moment, I believe. And I surrender all of me to everything that I understand about you. I surrender. I open the doors of my heart to you. I invite you to come into my life. Come in today. Come in and stay. 
And from this moment forward, Lord Jesus, as you give me strength and wisdom, I will live my life for you. Now, dear one, if that prayer expressed your heart's desire, the words are not as exactly as important as it is the attitude of your heart. God is interested in your heart. But if that expressed your heart's desire, you can now say to the Lord Jesus, tell him thank you. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Say it any way you want to. Because the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So it's not my promise that says you're going to heaven. It's the word of God's promise that says, if you call on his name, you've been saved. Forgiven of your sins, wiped out completely. Father, thank you for your grace. And I pray that for every believer in this room, Father, we would live in an attitude of grace giving, giving ourselves, giving our resources, giving our money, giving our time, giving our talents, giving ourselves to you because you first gave yourself to us. God, change our life that way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This way. We're going to conclude with an invitation, as we always do. And the invitation is just that. It's an invitation. It's going to take us two, three minutes to go through this. But the invitation is this. If God has spoken to you and he's invited you to come, then I want to invite you to take the next step. Here's the next step. If you've given your life to Christ where you're seated, then that's happened. It's done. But Jesus said this. He said, in Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33, he said, If you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. But if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. There's something very powerful about taking an open public stand for Christ. Many have done it right here in this spot. And I want to invite you in the safest place possible. I'm not asking you to do this in front of a Tampa Bucks football stadium full of infidels. Although I would love to give my testimony in a place like that, you know, tell them about what Christ has done. But I'm asking you, surrounded by people who will rejoice in what your decision, to come take your stand for Christ. And by your coming and standing right here, what you're saying is, I want the world to know I'm going God's way. Now, I'm not going to have you say anything. I'm not going to have you do anything. I'm not going to turn you around and have you speak or nothing like that. Your presence here says it all. Your presence says, today, I want the world to know I'm going God's way. We'll talk to you about the next steps and help you. We want you to grow in your faith. So that's the decision. That's the invitation. We invite you to come. It's more important for you than for anybody else in this place. Could be that you're already a believer, just looking for a church home, looking for a place to fellowship, and you want to be part of this, this body, then we invite you to be the first ones down the aisle, and we'll start the process of folding you in the life of our church. But the invitation is yours. We invite you to respond. And as we stand and sing, I want you to come quickly, okay? Let's stand together and sing. John, let's... 411. If you'd come right now, join me right here. Say, today, I want the world to know that God's mine. so sweet to trust, to trust in Jesus, just to, to take him, him at his, his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord. Saith the Lord. Jesus, 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 how, how I trust him, trust him how I've loved how him. I've proved him Would you come join me here? Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more.
dear ones, the singing has concluded, but the invitation is always open. Even after we're dismissed here and we walk out, I, you know, I'm here. You come speak to me. Speak to Brother John. You know, he might be prettier to look at than me. So you, you come and, and uh, talk to us about that. We, want, we, we, we don't want you to leave without Christ. And man, if you've got questions, bring your questions. Let's, we'll, I'd love to answer any questions that you might have, and I know there are folks that are many. Now, next Sunday, I'm going to start a, um, a series of 